नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय Bodies, the subtle and the gross. All our sufferings are due to these material bodies. 
This is explained in Bhagavad Gita 2.14. Matrasparashastu kamte yamasi toshna sukadhukkada agamapayinun nityas tamsutikshashrabharata O son of Kunti, the non-prominent appearance of happiness and distress and the disappearance in due course are like the, uh, are like the appearance and disappearance of winter and summer seasons. They arise from sense perception, O sign of Bhagavan, and one must learn to tolerate them without being disturbed. Lord Krishna thus informed Arjuna that all the distresses brought about by the body come and go. One has to learn how to tolerate them. Material existence is the cause of all our sufferings, for we do not suffer once we are out of the material condition. The Vedas therefore enjoin that one should factually understand that he is not material but is actually Aham Brahmashmi. This understanding cannot be fully realized unless one is engaged in Brahman activities, namely devotional service. To get free from the material conditions, one has to take to Krishna consciousness. That is the only remedy. Oma Gyanati Mirandasya Gyanam Jala Shalakaya Chaksharun Militam Yena Dasmaya Shri Gurave Namaha Shri Chaitanya Mano Bishtam Sapitam Yena Bhutale Swayam Rupa Kadaman Yam Dadati Swapadantikam Vandeham Shri Guru Shri Yutapadakamalam Shri Gurun Vaishnavamscha Shri Rupam Sakrachatam Sahagana Ragunatan Vitam Tam Sajivam Sadvaitam Savadutam Parichana Sahitam Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Pada Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakan Vitamscha He Krishna Karna Sindhu Dina Bandhu Jagatpate Gopesha Gopika Kanta Radha Kanta Namostate Tapta Kanchana Gaurangi Radhe Vrindavaneshwari Prishapanu Sate Devi Pranamami Hari Priye Namo Mahavadanyaya Krishna Prema Prathayate Krishnaya Krishna Chaitanya Namne Gaura Kushe Namaha Vachakalpa Tarubhyascha Kripa Sindhu Gyahevacha Patitana Pavanibhyo Vaishnavibhyo Namo Namaha Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Vadadhara Shri Vasadika Vrabhakta Vrinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 assembled Vaishnavas, both personally present and virtually online, uh, so that I may probably represent Srila Bhagavatam and Srila Prabhupada's purport, according to what I've heard and learned from my school. <coughs> so Narutamani here is winding up his instructions to King, to King Prachinapati to convince him actually that the solution to his problems is not material, but it is actually based in a spiritual source. To convince him of that, he's, he's presented Sankhya, uh, a breakdown of matter around him to help him introspect and understand that the problems that he's facing are sourced in the mind, not in physical things that you have to change around you. If I think, for example, the problem is with a finger, then I would spend all my time and energy with a finger rather than concentrating on an underlying issue that may be present in my body. Similarly, if I, if I just think that 
things can be adjusted materially. If I get something, the problem will be solved. If I lose some problem, the problem will be solved. Then my orientation would be in a particular direction. And that's typically the orientation of those who practice karmakanda or some form of uh, religious ritual to mitigate suffering or to gain something in return. But the section of the Srimad Bhagavatam is meant to convince us that our problem is actually something much deeper. Our problem is not that we lack certain things or we, uh, um, we are about to lose certain things. The problem is that what we are dealing with is not our factual position. Sometimes Navayogendra Maharaj expresses it this way. It's funnier in Hindi. But he says that some people think that the problem is, you know, that there are some problems in life which by taking away you'll be happy. He said they don't understand that life itself, in and of itself, is a problem which has to be solved by realizing who we actually are. So this verse continues this point. Uh, in the previous verse it was mentioned that simply um, performing some kind of ritualistic activity is not sufficient to mitigate suffering caused by previous fruitive activity because it's ultimately still part of one dream. This verse continues this point. So here it is said, Artehi abhidhyamane bhi Because a person can ask, okay, you've described that everything is within the mind. So artehi abhidhyamane bhi Api means also. Abhidhyamane here uh, means non-existent. So artehi means factual. So, okay, even if it is accepted that the mystery does not factually exist, if it is simply within the mind, then if it's illusory, the sense of misery, then why don't we just neglect it? Because if I think I'm sick, but I'm not actually sick, and sometimes patients have that difficulty, they think I have a fever, I have a cold, or uh, I have some problem. But if I'm not actually sick, then the, the solution is not to actually take any medicine. That might just make the situation worse. Rather, I would just sit in one place and you know, wait for it to go away, or just change my mindset. That's good enough. But here the verse says, and some philosophers actually do tend to say that, this whole material existence is illusion, it's all within the mind, and there's no factual existence to these problems. So therefore you just have to realize that the world is uh, temporary, that there's no existence to this world at all, and the problem ends there. But this verse actually says that the problem is not the problems that were perceived in the mind, the problem is the fact that we are still sleeping. So, even though those problems are situated in the mind rather than actually connected to the spirit soul. Some should live simply by understanding that it's within the mind is not sufficient. One has to factually wake up from the dream. Uh, and that is the only thing that Nibhartate seizes himself. Until one actually wakes up from the dream, which is the root problem, Samsara doesn't actually end. Manasa linga rupena, and the example is given the last two lines to describe this point. Manasa linga rupena. Linga rupena means in a subtle form. Uh, it is like an upadi, a covering on the jiva. So the mind, which is a conditioned mind, which is like a covering on the living entity. Swapne vicharatoyata. In sleep, just as the living entity wanders with his covered mind and experiences real objects but in an incorrect or illusory way, similarly, a person's material existence does not cease when he's wandering around combining things in, an, in a way not 
uh, actually suitable for his nature until he actually wakes up. As in sleep, he doesn't stop the circulation of his mind from wandering around through various objects. The word vicharata means to wander. Without, when his mind is wandering around from uh, one type of experience to another in sleep, that experience is only broken either by deep sleep or by actually waking up. But until one wakes up, there's no permanent solution to the sense of simply remembering objects. So in this verse, what is specifically stated is that with crystal clear clarity, the problem is that one is sleeping and that one has to wake up. The point that everything is actually within our mind and one has to wake up from the mind is a, is a, is a critical teaching, both in the Bhagavad Gita and the Srinam Bhagavatam. It is, the, it is the understanding that establishes and paves the way for pure devotional service. For example, in the fifth canto of Bhagavatam, the eleventh chapter, uh, Raghupana has asked, uh, uh, sorry, yeah, Raghupana has asked uh, Jadabhara uh, an important question. He says, you are describing that I'm the spirit soul, uh, and I get that, this is what I've heard previously. But I also see that people are influenced by their external circumstances. Example he gives is, when you take a pot of sweet rice and you put it onto a flame, then the heat caused by the flame, it not only touches a pot which is compared to the body, but it also affects the sweet rice within. So by that analogy, if we take the fire to represent the modes of nature or material existence, the pot to represent the body, then the spirit soul which is sitting as sweet rice and is contained within the body should also be affected by this fire. I feel tired, I lose energy when I'm carrying the palanquin, or I lose enthusiasm in, in certain circumstances. So how can you say that the soul is factually separate? This point was also addressed in uh, my first teachings from Vidura in the third canto. There were two examples given there. One was that of a full moon reflected in the lake. Or the moon is completely separate from the lake. The experience of disturbance of the waves of the pond or the lake are really based only on the reflection, the sense of identification with the reflection. The second analogy given is a person who is standing and just in one place and he initially kind of circles all the way around. When he stops, he feels like the entire world is moving around him, which is a perception simply in his mind. It is not actually real that the world is moving around him. But through these two examples, the Bhagavatam explains how it's only in, a, in, a, in an incorrect sense of, or a projected sense of identity that this suffering is based in. Now, now Jadabharata, no, he answers Maharaj Ravana's question in a specific way. And in the 11th chapter of the 5th canto, he tries to convince him that your entire body, uh, made of the 24 elements, all experiences of the body are completely based in the mind. And if you can learn to see all the experiences that you have in life as being vibrations in the mind, whether it's happiness or distress or any kind of joy or suffering, if you can learn to see it as being a vibration in the mind, you'll be able to see a separation between yourself and your perceived experiences. When you're able to see that separation, you understand that you yourself have got absolutely nothing to do with material existence. There's nothing that can happen in this world that can affect you in any way. And that experience of the spiritual practitioner convinces one that actually I've got nothing to do with this world. And that's the fundamental point that it comes to 
before we discuss that verse of the fifth canto where uh, Jatabharata actually brings up this point, this point is also brought up in the 13th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. So here again a, a presentation is given of the different elements because Arjuna asks, well can you explain to me uh, Purusha and Prakriti? Where is this, how is this uh, enjoyer, this condition enjoyer, found this way into Prakriti? What is this field of activities that he's working with and who is the knower of that field? Because if I know the field, I will know what kind of activities to perform to get out of this particular entanglement. And the 13th chapter, in verses 6 and 7, this point is mentioned. So in verse 6, what is said is this. So Mahabhutani Ahankaru Buddhi Abhyaktam Evacha uh, Indrani Dashe Kamcha Panchachendriya Gochara. Uh, this is so it describes the 24 elements that make up the body. Then it is said, Icha Dvesha Sukham Dukkam Sangatas Chetanadhati. These are all various vibrations of the mind. Icha, all kinds of desires, every kind of aversion, all kinds of happiness and distress. And Sangata means everything, that all the Sangata Chetanadhati the sense of con- any convictions that one may have, or any uh, aggregate of these symptoms. So all of these 24 elements constitute the body, and any kind of m- mental experience, Icha, Vesha, Sukham, Dukham, Sangata, Driti, any kind of conviction, there are simply vibrations on the mind. And, O oh Arjuna, if you understand this one point, that you yourself have got nothing to do with any conviction you may have. One may say, I am like this. This is my personality and this is how I respond. But that's an incorrect statement. That is a, a sense of reaction, sense of identity rooted in the mind. Somebody says, I'm convinced of this point. Sometimes we say, you know, if, if you don't like the weather, just wait a day or two. But it's kind of like that. If, if you know, I've, I'm convinced that this is my conviction. You just wait a few months, a few years, or a lifetime or so, and it changes, because it's all located in the mind. And understanding this point, one understands that my entire material existence is located in my mind. So here is the solution provided by Mara Jadavara, uh, sorry, Jadavara the King Rogana. And it comes in the 11th chapter of the 5th canto, in the last verse. Where it is stated, Bhratavyam enam tad adhagra viram upekshadhya dhyetam upekshaya dhyetam apramanta guru hares charanam panashanastra jahi vyanakam swayam atamusham. So here the mind is compared to one's brother's son. Uh, there is a natural sense of rivalry that exists between oneself and one's cousin, one's brother's son. Um, but Prathavyam, the formidable enemy, this mind, Adhavravyam, which is extremely powerful, Upekshaya, which by uh, neglecting Adhyayaditam, uh, unnecessarily increased in power. But, so therefore, by neglecting to neglect the mind, this verse says, one increases the strength of the mind. 
the extent that one just feels like, you know, what I'm feeling, this is actually me. This is something I have to satisfy. And I keep dwelling on simply the vibrations of my mind. To that extent, my mind becomes increasingly stronger and stronger. And the sense that I have of being separate from my mind is reduced. Then this verse continues to say, but ignoring the mind, upechya, completely neglecting the mind, and guru hares charnapasanastra, by taking shelter of Krishna under the instructions of guru. If one keeps that as being the specific standard, the principle on which one targets one's activity, then I will be given the objectivity to understand what is simply within my mind and what is actually reality. Because often when we are held to a standard outside of ourselves, um, a transcendental standard offered by the spiritual master or by scriptural instructions, then are the limitations of our mind, the particular uh, uh, nuances of our conditioned nature become increasingly apparent to us. Otherwise, we, we take what we think, what we feel to be a normal. We don't understand that what we are thinking is actually just a conditioned way of thinking. But if I understand that what my spiritual master says, or what the Shastra says, is actually rooted in reality, and I act on those principles, I'm helped to understand that all of these things, what I'm considering to be an issue, what I'm considering to be my need, what I'm considering to be a problem, is just in my mind. It's just a way of thinking. And Guru Haris Charno Prasanastro Jahi Pyalikam Swayam Atmamosham. And so Jagadara tells Rahubana, in that way you conquer this enemy called the mind and you understand who you actually are, the spirit soul completely separate from your body. And in some sense, that is the essence of the instruction being offered by Nardamani, and Prabhupada confirms it in the protocol. He says, the living entity is always separate from two kinds of material bodies, the subtle and gross. All our sufferings are due to these material bodies. And then Prabhupada quotes 2.14, and he says, uh, that O son of Kunti, the non-permanent appearance of happiness and distress, and the disappearance in due course, are like the appearance and disappearance of wind and summer seasons. They arise from sense perception of Sainabharata, and one must learn to tolerate them without being disturbed. And Prabhupada continues to say, O Krishna thus informed Arjuna that all the distresses brought about by the body come and go. One has to learn how to tolerate them. Now, this ability to tolerate actually only comes from a sense of Krishna consciousness. Because it is really hard when dealing with one's own mind to, to try to conquer one's own mind simply by trying to go to um, uh, either something else that we think is right. For example, if I think that I shouldn't be watching a certain program, or if I think that there's a certain, I should not be sleeping late at night. If according to my own mind I come up with a solution, the solution that is a product of my own mind uh, will only still be within my own way of thinking. It won't help me go outside of my way of thinking. Until and unless I actually seek a superior source of instruction uh, to hold me to a particular principle, it will be very hard for me to leave the mode of nature or the modes of nature that govern my way of thought. Um, so this point is actually made in the second chapter of Bhagavad Gita 
where the qualities of the Siddha Pragya are mentioned. For the Siddha Pragya, of course, Arjuna asks, you know, how does he resist sense objects uh, when they come to him? How does he operate in the midst of sense objects? And in both, in answers to both these questions, the point is made clear that until and unless this, even the self-realized soul, his mind is fixed on Krishna, until that time, even his mind being placed on some sense can drag his mind completely away. Now, it could be just a single sense that I want to hear some good music or I want to taste something nice, and the mind is immediately taken away. And one is submerged again to mental experiences. But the only way by which one can stably remain on that relative platform of objectivity in terms of understanding the distinction between who we actually are as a spirit soul and the mind is to retain that sense of Krishna consciousness, that I'm a servant of Krishna, and that it is a taste in Krishna consciousness that allows one to completely separate oneself uh, stably from one's mind. The analysis presented in this verse is actually not uh, a complete analysis. Because here, what is mentioned is that one needs to wake up from that dream. What is not, and so therefore the problem is in the mind, one needs to wake up from that dream. What is not mentioned is that the cause of our being in the situation in the first place is our turning our back on the Lord. This is mentioned in the 11th canto. So this verse explains that samsara, of bhayam, characterized by an absorption in duality, absorption in trying to mitigate or trying to balance opposites in this world, that absorption which causes fear. So, so samsara characterized by absorption in duality which causes fear is caused by our turning, by our turning our back on the Lord, which causes both asmiti, forgetfulness of who we are, and vipalya, an incorrect sense of identity. And this is caused by Krishna's Maya Shakti. So this analysis presented in verse 35, that yes, we have to wake up from our dream, is part of the picture. The part that is not mentioned is that the reason we are in the dream is because we are seeking an experience of our taste or of rasa independent of Krishna. And that's because we have turned our back on Krishna. Perhaps the best uh, analysis of this that I have seen comes from a Christian psychologist, uh, Virginia, I, don't, I never remember her last name, from the US. She writes that every living entity has seven essential human needs. And she says that it includes to be completely loved, to be completely trusted, to be touched in a non-sexual way. Like this, there are seven such needs which fulfill our sense of wanting to be, uh, of being loved, of being wanted, of being part of something. And she says that originally these seven needs are met in a relationship with the Lord. And where we don't have that sense of a relationship with the Lord, she says, we have to find it in some place in this world. It could be with parents, it could be with friends, it could be with one's spouse, or it could be with others. But she says that if one somehow or the other neglects even one of these seven needs, one ends up being psychologically incomplete. And that's how she starts her book on psychology. When she's dealing with her patients, or when the student is dealing with her patients, 
They identify which one of these needs are missing and they try and fulfill it. The point being expressed here is that the living entity is always eternally dependent. They have to feel connected to something. There has to be a sense of who I am and what belongs to me. Originally that sense is I am Krishna's servant and Krishna is mine. But when that sense is not properly rooted in Krishna, it has to be rooted in some place in this world. And it is that transition, that our turning our back on Krishna, that forces us to root our sense of wanting connection, wanting to be part of something bigger, our rooting our sense of I am mine in this world. And that causes this dreamlike state. So the actual problem is not even simply in just our sleeping. The problem is that we, or as sometimes, some devotees express it, we have a Krishna-shaped hole in our heart. It is not sufficient to just say that we have to wake up. And this is a preaching that you will hear in most spiritual institutes, that you have to wake up. What they understand by that statement is usually impersonal. That you are in mind, you have to understand that there is no such thing as variety, then you just understand that you are everything, or you are nothing, or you are Brahman. That is their understanding of that statement. The Vaishnava understanding of the state of sleep is that seeking to fill our Krishna-shaped hole, because we have taken Krishna out of our life, we have turned our back on Krishna, we try and fill it with relationships in this world. And that is the state of sleep that we are in. But if somebody connects Krishna back into their life, they turn their back, they turn towards Krishna again, that hole in the heart is filled automatically. And the sense of satisfaction that arises, the sense of completeness that arises, which is the living entity's actual need or want, automatically lifts the need to be in that state of sleep and to experience that connection in this world. So the actual problem is not actually even sleeping. The problem is our lack of Krishna consciousness. And the fundamental tenet, actually, the fundamental root analysis that all of the study of Sankhya or all of the study of Bhagavatam is to help us come to is if there is a lack in my life, if there is an issue I'm facing, it is because of an improper application of Krishna consciousness or a lack of sufficient depth in Krishna consciousness. And if one can be convinced of that point, that is the conviction that leads one to practice pure devotional service, which actually solves this issue. So Prabhupada mentions this point in the end of his purport, where he says, The Vedas therefore enjoin that one should factually understand that he is not material, but is actually Brahman. This understanding cannot be fully realized unless one is engaged in Brahman activities, namely devotional service. To get free from the material conditions, one has to take to Krishna consciousness. That is the only remedy. The other application of this verse comes for the sadhaka. Because of course, for somebody who's on or starting this path, this verse is important to help them achieve a sense of disconnection with their immediate problems and understand more deeply what their actual problem is. But even for the practitioner sometimes, when we are dealing with the material world, particularly those who are in the congregation, it can sometimes become quite overwhelming in dealing with the world outside. And we actually tend to forget that some of the issues we face, either in personal interactions or the ups and downs of this world, 
are not actually our immediate problem. There's an underlying cause to what we are experiencing. And the cause is usually something that we need to grow in, something we need to change internally, in terms of our particular response to the situation. <laughs> Understanding this with the help of verses like what is mentioned today, a sadhaka can achieve a stability in their attempt to fill their Krishna-shaped hole in their heart. So this verse therefore presents applications at three levels. One, for the beginning practitioner, just to help them achieve that initial sense of detachment, begin the practice of Krishna consciousness. Two, for, to help us, to help convince the same practitioner that ultimately the problem is in the Krishna-shaped hole that I have in my heart. And three, for the practicing sadhaka to stabilize the practice of Krishna consciousness. When one actually is fully Krishna conscious, verses like this are not directly uh, as relevant to their practice. Because for them, whether they're in a state of, whether they're in this world or not in this world, um, they're actually completely awake and alive in their relationship with Krishna. Even if they're dealing with material objects, they're able to deal with it in its real sense and its connection to Krishna. There's no question that they're being asleep. And this is my understanding of this verse. But if there are any comments, corrections, or questions, be very grateful. distance and time that allows maturity to kind of come into place. 
I mean, I've had both in the ashram and outside the ashram. It's particularly difficult within the ashram uh, because one is, one is separated from every other family member and one's ashram residents are the only family that one has. So if there is difficulty amongst ashram residents, it's quite terrible. Particularly if there are only a few devotees in ashram. We see this floating in there. In India, of course, you have 150 to 200 devotees staying in ashram. And if there's a conflict with one devotee, there are 149 devotees to associate with. And so it's less of a problem. But if you only have a handful of devotees that one is regularly associating with, it is really difficult. Um, but for me, it has just been space that sometimes you need to spend some time away while one processes internally what, what has happened and then try to seek association to fill the gap in the heart and grow in maturity and Krishna consciousness. That has been the only solution that's worked for me. Now, it is even more difficult if, like for example, if I'm working and I have a problem with my manager, it becomes very difficult. And I know that when I was in Ashram, sometimes my personal counselor or service authority, uh, I was because I was not only um, serving under their guidance, I was living under their guidance, and my 24 hours was being regulated under him. And I know there were times when I would go into the bathroom and vent out my frustration like inside the bathroom walls. I would be shouting at the toilet door, for example, to vent it out. And so it is helpful to have an outlet. Sometimes his holiness about the Bhagavad just said that you need one devotee to whom you are so close that you can shout at that person. And you can literally vent out every frustration that you have. And that devotee is mature enough to take it and to empathize and to guide you through that situation. I had one such instance after about two, two and a half years in Ashram. I felt really bad about something. So a godbrother of mine was in Chalpati. I'm going to have So I called him. Uh, actually, he called me to find, find out how I was, just generally. And then over the phone for about four to five hours, I kept venting, venting, venting. He heard me for about three, three and a half hours. And then he, he, then he told me half an hour, one hour, why I was so fortunate to get what I had. And I was about to walk out of Ashram, actually, at that point, after two, two and a half years. That's how frustrated I was. But then the time that he spent hearing me out and the time that he spent sharing with me his own personal experiences, which were not dissimilar, but then he helped me see the other side of my fortune in receiving the kind of guidance and close monitoring that I was receiving. So helping me see the other side of the situation from his mature perspective kept me balanced and stable. Um, but if one is finding that ultimately in one's present situation, one doesn't have that stable shelter, it will be difficult in the long run. There was a devotee in uh, New Mayapur, in France, actually. Um, now, her situation was she had taken shelter of Shiva Prabhupada's movement uh, in her youth. She had joined with her then boyfriend. Her boyfriend had moved on from the devotees, but she was attached to rather, I don't know who the deeds were, but to Krishna there, and she continued to stay. But she found that over time, all the other devotees then began to have their own separate families. There was no sense of interaction amongst the devotees. And increasingly she was getting more and more lonely. She was trying to express her need for comfort and association by uh, trying to create a sense of family amongst the Vaishnavas. She would serve the other young mothers by taking care of their children so that they could have some time for themselves. But ultimately it became too much for her and she committed suicide. 
So the thing is the mind cannot always be neglected. Um, one has to deal in such a way that one can be stable according to one's level of maturity in a particular environment. And in some sense that is the whole purpose of the Varnashram system. If the solution was always only to neglect the mind, there would be no need for the Varnashram system, where there's a gradual position and one can place themselves in order to stay with the practice consciousness. So one has to either try and seek, or sometimes Radha Maharaj says that Krishna consciousness can only be practiced in a family environment. That doesn't mean biological family, it means a family of devotees also. If one doesn't have that loving association of family in the ashram or wherever one is practicing, it becomes very difficult and one has to try and seek it out. It becomes more and more important as time goes on um, because it has to be something that is stable, nourishing and allows us to practice Christian consciousness without our mind continuously dwelling on negativity or difficulty. Then why, why, what does the statement mean then that Prabhupada does make that statement in England? So what can It depends on the strength of one's Christian consciousness actually. Um, like you look at someone like a Sikhunas Radhanath Swami, actually from what happened in New Vrindavan, um, only a handful of devotees have survived what happened there. Um, and once his face go into Radha, one of Radha Maharaj's first disciple, he was traveling in the West and he was giving Bhagavatam class. And Bhagavatam class, somebody asked him, if your authority tells you to do something you don't like or that you feel is wrong, what should you do? He said, you should tolerate. You should not. Uh, you should just, if he's not telling you to compromise the 16,004 rules, then you should just do it no matter what you feel. He didn't even step up the Vyasa sign. Uh, he got a call from uh, his office rather than March, directly in front. As soon as he stepped off the Vyasa and walked out of the temple room, what had happened was that one of the devotees in the temple would be during the class, gave rather than March a call and said, he complained. He said, March, your disciple is saying this. We don't feel this is right. And rather than much called him and said, I heard that you were asked this question. What did you say? Go through repeated his answer. Then Rana Maharaj said, <clears throat> my answer would have been different. He said that if the devotee is feeling unsheltered or insecure beyond a certain level, he said, my advice then would be to find a place where you have shelter. Then going through said, but Maharaj, in New Vrindavan, you tolerated so much and just see your level of Krishna consciousness. And Radha Maharaj said, but do you know how many devotees actually survived that? Radha Maharaj actually took a lot and he survived a lot in his time there. And it was the depth of his Krishna consciousness that allowed him to tolerate and transcend that situation. There was a time when after two years <coughs> of serving in Vrindavan, uh, he was forced to serve with about two, two and a half hours of sleep every day. Um, and this went on for a period of time until his body revolted completely. He started to get boils all over his body. He went to the doctor. The doctors told him he had six months to live. He asked, is there any treatment? They said, there is, but it's very expensive. He went back to the devotees and the temple said, we can't find it, I'm sorry. And they said, you just stay in your room and we'll give you some herbal juices and we'll depend on Krishna. So, I mean, you think about what most devotees would have felt. I know what I would have felt if I'd been in that situation and I wouldn't have been able to take it. So that was Radha Maharaj's advice. Of course, in that situation, Maharaj increases chanting on many grounds a day. He thought he was going to leave, but Krishna's mercy he didn't. It really depends on one's level of Krishna consciousness. And sometimes in Chaupati, Maharaj asked, how do you come up with these principles in Chaupati? He said, I just think about what was done in New Vrindavan, and I just do the opposite. 
and I implement that here. Um, but one cannot, it's not a universal principle that one neglects. One has to assess the strength, or one with guidance has to assess what the strength of one's Christian consciousness is, and to the degree that one can maturely transcend a particular situation. To the intensity of one's Christian consciousness, to that intensity, one can transcend different degrees of problems. But at some level, one has to find something that's consistent and workable, because that's what will help one grow. Thank you. Well, it's a little bit of a comment to base on what we were answering. Um, it's the importance of having clear understanding of the goal and to maintain that, and how we can work uh, walking towards the goal and those kind of adjustments. For example, in the case of the maturity level of maturity without losing perspective what is actually the goal. Sometimes we tend to uh, stagnation in those arrangements as a solution for our real problem. And that's the comment, but I have another question, if I can go. Um, quite interesting the comment of the American psychologist about uh, the needs and the identity and, and all the relation with God. I was uh, trying to understand that about the Upadis and as our conditioning. So how can we reconcile those concepts? Because the sense of belonging, for example, is based on who I am and my identity and I need to interact with others. So that from the spiritual platform, I'm a spiritual soul, I belong to Krishna, and so that sense of belonging is there, but in our practical interaction here with the bodies, how can we reconcile those terms of values? My understanding of your question is that uh, we, can, we try to connect in different ways. Right? So how do we understand that this is an essential part of our soul's need? Is that your question? Yeah. Okay. So how we try to find connection, uh, that will be dependent on our conditioned nature. Somebody may be a nationalist, somebody may be a family man, somebody may be, uh, you know, some of the calls they want to give themselves to. But the point is that everyone is fundamentally in need of that connection. How they seek it is a little different according to their nature. But everything that everyone does is actually driven by that fundamental need to be part of something uh, and to be part of something bigger than just themselves. When we say that um, what we actually mean, what we're referring to is the living entity's eternally dependent condition. Or sometimes Prabhupada would say that this means living entity is always a servant, either in the liberated state or the conditioned state. Whether we say the living entity is dependent or is always a servant or always has a sense of I and mine, we are always saying that the living entity has to have that sense of connection. I am something and these things belong to me. That sense of connection that is missing, the living entity cannot function. Either in the state of liberation or in the state of, in this world, that connection has to be there. So this, uh, the psychologist Virginia's point is that every living entity has certain fundamental needs to connect. And the need to connect is originally meant in Krishna. Jiva is Krishna originally. 
But devoid of that sense of connection to Krishna, it is manifested in at some level, some place in this world. Could be through family, could be living for another cause, could be for nationalism, could be for, you know, as a doctor, you're living for other, other people and other citizens. But that is what actually makes, fills our sense of, of being connected and our sense of being uh, a servant. It's what makes us happy. Is that it? Okay. Thank you. Thank you.